Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning. It's Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware. And we're continuing in our beloved Bible story series. And we are talking about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So we will be reading from Joshua 6, 1 through 20. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the Israelites. No one came out and no one went in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you, along with its king and soldiers. You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. Thus you shall do for six days, with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall charge straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horn in front of the Ark of the Lord. To the people he said, Go forward and march around the city. Have the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. As Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the Lord of the covenant of the Lord following them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. The rear guard came after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. To the people, Joshua gave this command, You shall not shout or let your voice be heard, nor shall you utter a word until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord went around the city, circling it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord passed on, blowing the trumpets continually. The armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. On the second day, they marched around the city once, and then returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers we sent. As for you, keep away from the things devoted to destruction, so as not to covet and take any of the devoted things. And make the camp of Israel an object for destruction, bringing trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. 
So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. The word of God for the people of God. I got this instrument on, well, you know, Amazon. It's an authentic shofar, which is a trumpet of sorts made from a ram's horn. Rather like the trumpets the priests are carrying in our story today. I used to play French horn, so even though it took a little practice, I was able to get a sound from it. So listen. Sorry, I know that wasn't great. Um, But anyway, now most of us know about Jericho and the walls that came tumbling down. But do we ever think about the weapon God used to take down those walls? Yeah, some of these shofars played a part in that. But this story has a lot to teach us. But as always, we have to know how we got here. So let's take a look. Well, the story of Jericho is an important milestone to the Israelites. And just before this story, the Israelites finally stepped into the promised land, crossing the Jordan under Joshua's leadership. And after more than 40 years in the wilderness, they are finally standing in the land of milk and honey. It must have been an awesome day. As they crossed over the Jordan, they paused to honor God and recommit themselves to the covenant made at Mount Sinai to acknowledge that they are God's chosen people set apart for a special purpose. And what was that purpose? God says to Abraham in Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God has blessed the Israelites so that they will in turn be a blessing to the nations, all nations on the earth. Now here they are, from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness for over 40 years, the Israelites have come to this place by the hand of God and are ready to take possession of that promise. But we can't understand the full significance of this moment until we understand that this is the second time they stood at the Jordan, ready to cross into the promised land. The first time they stood on the banks of the Jordan, they chose not to cross. They had sent in spies who told them exactly what they would find in the land. The cities were fortified, well fortified. The people were like giants, and all but two of those spies they sent in told them the people of the land were too powerful, and the Israelites didn't stand a chance against them. They let fear get the best of them and decided to turn around instead of crossing the Jordan. At that point, God made them spend another 40 years in the desert until all those who hadn't trusted him and didn't go into the land were dead. But here they are again, and nothing has really changed. The cities are still well fortified, and the people are still like giants. So what makes them ready to go in now? We'll get to that in a minute. The Israelites in our story today are now standing in the promised land, looking up at Jericho, the city that stands as the point of entry 
into the promised land. If they can take this city, they can roll on past and take the others, but they have to take this one first. Now, fortified cities were often built on hills. Well, that makes sense. So before the walls even begin, there, are at least, there is at least 40 feet of ground, and there is a retainer wall 25 feet high and 6 feet deep around the hill. Then on top of the 40-foot hill is the city. The walls of the city are 25 feet high and really wide since people have homes built inside those walls. That's where Rahab lived. Now imagine standing there looking up at that city built on a 40-foot hill with walls that were 25 feet up beyond that and that thick. Now, remember that you and your people have been living in tents for over 40 years. It must have seemed impressive, maybe a bit intimidating. I might have had the urge to turn around and go the other way. I mean, come on, how on earth would they take that city? Now, there are certainly certain military tactics that armies have used over the course of history to take fortified cities like Jericho. And I looked up some of those weapons and tactics used throughout the ages. Sometimes armies would surround cities and just wait them out, knowing that when they ran out of food and water that they would have to surrender or die. But that could take up to two years. Sometimes different weapons would be used, like battering rams to break down the doors or trebuchets that would shoot balls of fire into the city, making them run out. Sometimes they would build siege ramps to get up over the walls, or they might find a way to sneak in and ambush them, kind of like the Trojan horse strategy. Now, I'm pretty sure the Israelites didn't have any impressive weapons. They didn't have time to wait them out. They didn't have materials for a siege ramp, and they hadn't even heard about the Trojan horse since that really hasn't happened yet. So what will they do? Well, here's their strategy. One sure to make their enemies quiver in their boots. Take a walk and make some noise with trumpets. Sounds crazy, right? The people are to walk around the city once a day with the priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and blowing trumpets. The fighting men just walk in front of and behind the Ark. They circle the city once and then go home and go back to camp. Can you imagine the people of Jericho watching all of that? Well, if you remember, Rahab told the spies that because of what the people of Jericho had heard about God and what God had done for the Israelites, their hearts were melting in fear. Yes, they had heard about the trip through the desert, the manna, the water from a stone, the parting of the Jordan River, and how they had conquered some of their enemies on the other side of the river. Just like the Israelites were probably frightened looking up at the people of Jericho, the people of Jericho were probably frightened looking down on the Israelites, at least at first. They might have thought that fire and brimstone would pour out of the heavens, or that a mighty warrior would overtake the city in the name of God. But no! As they watch from the safety of their city walls, the Israelites just walk and play trumpets. And I can kind of hear them saying things like, what on earth are they doing? Are they crazy? I imagine that some of them started laughing. Some were most likely intrigued, but I seriously doubt anyone was shaking with fear. Confusion was probably the more likely response. And honestly, we have to wonder about 
what the Israelites were thinking too. They were looking up at that intimidating city full of giant people, knowing that they are watching their every move. I'm certain that some of their warriors just wanted to run screaming at the walls and try to tear them down with their bare hands. But no, here they are in full armor, trying to act like warriors, but doing nothing very warrior-like. Hey, you down there, can you hear the people of Jericho calling down to them, calling them names and taunting them? When are the real fighters going to show up? Or, thanks for the show, I was getting bored up here. But the Israelites couldn't utter a word as they looked up at those giant walls, not knowing in any way, shape, or form how they would get inside. Why circling the city? Why seven days? There's no way they could understand. All they knew was that Joshua told them that the walls would fall if they followed God's instructions. And they did, even when they didn't know how this would make those walls come down. They made the decision to trust God and be obedient, even when it didn't seem to make any sense. Now, one thing they should have known by now is that if you're going into battle with God, you have to start with trust. Well, we have another name for that, and we call that faith. When the Israelites were here at the Jordan River before, they didn't have faith. They didn't trust God. God had told them that he had already gone before them, that he, they would conquer all their enemies, but they didn't trust God to keep his promise. All they could see were the walls in front of them, the giants that were waiting for them, and their own inadequacies. They weren't the greatest fighters. They had been slaves for hundreds of years and then had been wandering in the desert just trying to stay alive. So instead of walking boldly into the promised land, they turned around and went back into the desert, missing out on the life God had led them to, choosing to live a life of struggle instead of the abundant life they could have had if they had only trusted God. And isn't that true for a lot of people today? I have watched people, including myself, face their own walls and giants, feeling small and inadequate, unable to even imagine that anything can bring them down. And sometimes those walls are on the outside. We hear the words of others that tell us we're not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, we don't have enough money or influence. We're not from the right part of town, the right school, the right race, the right gender or orientation as people put labels on us that we can't seem to overcome. Then there are those walls we put up between us and others, like when we don't agree or have the same political or social views. That's when we get that us versus them outlook, and it builds walls. But sometimes those walls are on the inside. We build them ourselves as we begin to doubt. What? will happen if I fail. They might laugh at me. They might call me names. Things may not go the way we expect. We can't possibly have the strength to do this. We give ourselves reasons to give up. Fear builds walls. Anxiety builds walls. And we believe it's better to build walls around our hearts sometimes so that we won't get hurt. So we stand behind walls of pain and grief instead of taking a step of faith to offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt us, to put ourselves out there and allow ourselves to be loved. 
We stand behind the walls of loneliness. If we don't let anyone get real close, we can keep our secrets all locked up safe and sound. We stand behind the walls of fear, letting those inner voices tell us all the reasons we can't do what God is calling us to do, to live the abundant life he has promised us. If we give our whole selves to God, if we love people with the same crazy love that was given to us in Jesus, then people might think we're strange or delusional, weak or foolish. They won't treat us the same. Our lives might change. We choose not to believe that God really keeps his promises. After all, we've all had people in our lives who have failed us, so why not God? So we build a wall that separates us from God. And all these walls can keep us from becoming all we were created to be, to fulfill our God-given purpose. See, God has plans for us and a way to cross over into the life that he has intended for us. But instead, we find ourselves staring at the walls, looking at those giants and those obstacles that stand in our way, and we, we let fear tell us that there isn't any way we can break through. So we turn around and learn to live a life that's somehow lacking. But Joshua and the Israelites have a lot to tell us about the benefits of trusting God. The Bible is full of stories, really, that show that God is faithful, that God always keeps his promises, that God never changes, and that God can do anything. And here in this story, God has promised to give them this land. They didn't trust him the first time, and their lack of trust took them back into the desert, a place where they struggled to survive. God provided for them even there, yes, but it was not what he wanted for them. He wanted them to live in a land of milk and honey where they would rest from their wandering and have a place to call home. He wanted them to prosper and live an abundant life, not wandering around picking up manna off the desert floor every day. It was only when they decided to trust God and obey him, no matter how strange or impossible it sounded, that God showed them what was possible. God himself went around that city as the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant. The people went before and after the Ark. It's a story of what happens when God and his people are walking together. Those walls could not have come down any other way. God showed them that when they trusted him, when they were obedient and walked with him, he could do so much more than they could imagine. That together they could tear down those walls and see how God would keep his promise that God is faithful. And even though he could do it alone, he wouldn't do it unless they had faith and trusted him enough to follow his instructions. They were a team. They were God's people carrying his name into the land. And it wasn't because the Israelites were mighty warriors that the hearts of the people of Jericho melted in fear, but because they had heard about the power of their God. The first time they stood at the Jordan River, even though they had walked with God through terrible conditions and God had provided in miraculous ways, they hesitated because fear told them they couldn't take the land. They were right, they couldn't. 
They were afraid they weren't good enough. They were right, they weren't. They were afraid they might look weak and foolish to the people in the land. They were right. If they had tried to do anything on their own power, they would have failed. They didn't have the right weapons to defeat such mighty foes. But the second time, they chose to wield the greatest weapon of all, faith. Because of their faith, their trust in God, they knew they only had to be obedient and God would do what God had promised, even when they couldn't see how. Faith and obedience, even when we don't understand. Together, they are the greatest weapon against any wall or giant we may ever face. And it begins with faith. When we face a wall inside or out, if we start with faith, believing that God will keep his promises, then we can be assured that working together with God, those walls will come down. Putting our faith into action, we do what God asks us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And what does God ask us to do? Well, the greatest commandment is a good place to start. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In today's world, love really is the greatest weapon against any old wall that God faces with us. And then in Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, God has called each one of us to our own promised land, yet each one of us has a Jericho somewhere in our lives, a wall that needs to come down so we can live into the life that God created us to live. Where are the walls in your life? Stop for a second and think about it. Close your eyes. Imagine the person you would like to be. What does God need to tear down so that you can live that life? Are there addictions that need to be conquered? Fear that needs to break, be broken up? A belief that you're not good enough? A label someone has put on you and it seems to have stuck? See, so many people live in the desert when the land of milk and honey is just a prayer and a step of faith away. We don't need an intelligent mind, a six-figure job, superhuman strength, or the fastest car to get the life we want. See, God can tear down any of those walls and bring us into the life he promised Faith in him, walking with him, living like Jesus, showing love to all, even those we don't agree with or even like. These are the weapons that will tear down every wall. It is the love of Christ shown on the cross that has broken every barrier down already. Even when we can't see what God has planned for us, we can learn to follow in faith. How can you learn to trust God more and walk with him in your life? Where do you need to be more loving, more humble, an advocate for justice? See, by the power of love, we can take a step of faith and follow Jesus into the promised land. There is no enemy that we cannot conquer together with God. So, 
Follow the example of the Israelites. Take a stroll. Walk with Christ. And make some noise. Those walls will come a-tumbling down. Amen.